You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. I had a dream that Dio came to me on the dark side of a rainbow and told me, like, there's no reason that you should feel like you can't write this album. Because none of us knew really, like, what we were doing. We were just writing. And this is the style that we were writing it in. So don't be afraid you know, don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid to like harness the power of the kings before you. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, brought to you by Sound Talent Media, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians to talk about their lives, music, and craft beer. I hope you guys had a great weekend. We are now in March, everybody, which means that Vox and Hops' sober February is now behind us. I hope you guys enjoyed my whole month of sober content where I focused my attention on promoting a balanced relationship with alcohol. I personally really enjoyed doing that. It is a truly very important topic, and I hope that you enjoyed it as well. Today's episode is presented by Heavy Montreal. Heavy Montreal is Montreal's premier metal promoter. When there isn't a global pandemic crippling the music industry, they normally put on a bunch of amazing concerts here in Montreal. But not only that, they also put on one of North America's sickest metal festivals, and that is the absolute truth. Trust me when I say this, because I have played just about every huge festival across the globe, and Heavy Montreal is up there, if not better than most of them. I am very, very stoked to have Heavy Montreal behind the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. Before we jump into today's episode, I'd just like to encourage you to subscribe to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. But more than that, I'm asking you to rate it and write a review, because when you do that, you will help other metalheads just like yourself discover the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. I've also just set up the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast mailing list. You can sign up to that on my website, voxandhops.com. That is V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. And when you do that, you shall receive one email a week containing all of the details of everything that has happened in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, including all of the details to any episodes which I have dropped in the previous week. If I have been a guest on someone else's podcast, as well as the links to any upcoming live interview, Thirsty Thursday Virtual Hangs, and the updated links to the Brutal Awakenings playlist, which is curated by my man, Jerry Monk, the metal architect himself. Do yourself a favor, join the party, sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast's mailing list. Now, on today's episode, I'm very stoked to be with James Durbin. Get ready, everyone. This is Vox and Hops episode number 237. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today, I'm with James Durbin, and I'm super stoked to be with you because uh, you've been doing uh, a whole bunch of amazing stuff for over a decade now. I first uh, stumbled upon you when my father just kept sending me these these links and these videos and calling me and telling me <laughs> about the, the new heavy metal singer on American Idol. So, so... I had just moved out of my parents' house when this happened, and he just kept talking to me about you. So, so I've known about you since then, and I was a fan then. <laughs> I was stoked to see someone waving the metal flag on television for, for the masses to see. So, so I'm stoked to meet you. This is very, very cool. Uh, how are you doing, James? I'm doing great. 
Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. What's your dad's name? Jerry. What's up, Jerry? Wherever you are, I'm sure you're listening. Hope you're listening. Uh, if you're not listening, if you can hear, I don't know if Jerry can hear. He can, and uh, he, he is a, an avid metalhead. I grew up, you know, discovering metal in the passenger seat of his car back when kids could sit in the front seat because, you know, oh, yeah. we grew up in wild times. And uh, <laughs> that's that's where I discovered metal with my dad. And uh, he still can hear. He's still, you know, not as well as he used to, but he can still blast it. Uh, let's dance into a little bit more of a complex question, James. How did you cope with the glorious year of 2020, which is now thankfully behind us? I, I, I did all right. I did all right. I call it the year of our Lord Voldemort. <laughs> Um, yeah, 2020 was, it started off with so much promise, you know, of course it did. Like there was so many shows booked, you know, really planning on being this really successful year financially and everything. And you know what? I got to say, it still was a financially successful year. Uh, we bought a house, like we just, I made the record and, and had a lot of, uh, just made do, you know, hustled. Tried to hustle the best as uh, best I could with you know, backyard concerts, um, you know, touring people's backyards and uh, private shows, voiceover work, that hmm. sort of thing. So it still it still worked out. Happy to say that's amazing. And you you gotta hustle. If if we're not gonna hustle for ourselves, no one's gonna hustle for us. So so we have to have that mentality as artists to to not exactly. expect anyone to do anything for us. And you've been doing that since the beginning. So kudos to that, and kudos for keeping it going throughout 2020. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, definitely worked out. Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends and talking about their lives, music, and craft beer. What beer do you have on your side there, James, that we're going to share tonight? Oh, tonight I have a Sierra Nevada hazy little thing IPA. It's a nice uh, hazy IPA. Uh, I live in Santa Cruz, California. Yes. Um, it's, it's about two hours from Chico. Um, I've been up to uh, their... Um, their brewery where they make everything and it's just it's beautiful i've played up there at their uh their beer garden really that's a few so cool years ago and they they sent me home with a bunch of cases of beer so that was super super rad um um but this is this is the beer that got me into ipa mm-hmm. so very much uh, enjoying these as my listeners avidly know sierra nevada's pale ale not that one was uh, one of the pinnacle beers in my craft beer history uh, i've been enjoying it since 2008, my first U.S. tour with Cryptopsy, and uh, I did have that one that's in your hand last time I was traveling, going to do an Asian tour, and uh, we stopped over in San Francisco, and we drank a few of those before getting on the very long flight to Singapore. <laughs> nice. <laughs> crack that open. I'm going to crack mine open. On my side, I'm drinking. Wow. This is uh, from Le Bazar, Brasserie Artisanale, which is a neither co-branding sister of Le Saint-Buck, which is very complicated but it's very cool from here in montreal this is a non-alcoholic new england ipa it has a 0.5 percent abv and uh it is probably one of the best non-alcoholic new england's that i've ever tasted so i'm gonna crack this you crack that cheers hey salute Mm. it's very rare to find an ipa new england especially that still feels like a beer when it's non-alcoholic Mm-hmm. Le Bazal nails it. Love it. Uh, let's talk about beer. How about your first beer, James? Do you remember the first beer that you ever drank? The first beer I ever drank was a uh, 40 of Mickey's. Really? Yes. <laughs> 40 of Mickey's. And uh, 
I didn't drink the 40. No, uh, <laughs> my friends were drinking the 40s. And uh, I was not 21, of course, um, as you have to be in the States. Mm-hmm. But um, I was, I think I was of legal drinking age uh, in most other places of the world. So that was, you know, that was fine. It's, 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 it's fine. It definitely, it definitely happens. Yes. Yes. I had, I, I had kind of just like the top portion of the bottle because a 40, a 40 ounce bottle is, is it's a lot to expect out of a guy for his first beer. So, um, not great. And then that was followed by just years of casually drinking Bud Lights, um, you know, for the flavor. And then, uh, <laughs> and then discovering uh Pap's blue ribbon, of course, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's a long time favorite. But when I really got into good tasting beers was with uh, porters and stouts. Hell yes. What would be that pinnacle beer the way that Sierra Nevada's pale ale was for me in your craft beer journey? Just about anybody that makes a, a good, a good double chocolate stout. Mm-hmm. And I've, oh, there's definitely been some stinkers um, as far as stouts go. Like Guinness is like a traditional stout. Like I've never had Guinness from the, from the brewery you know, where it's more like mud and I'm sure it tastes a lot better because like the canning process and everything, I just, I can't, I don't have the palate for a Guinness. It's, it tastes more like a Porter. Um, but yeah, just anything that, that anyone that makes a really thick, really creamy double chocolate stout, or there's milk stouts or peanut butter stouts or coffee stouts, oatmeal stouts, uh, anything that tastes like breakfast for dinner is, is, is good for me. <laughs> There's Get some a whole, hot eggs and a, and a nice breakfast stout. Yeah. <laughs> There's a whole style like that, too. The the breakfast stouts, where it's a coffee oatmeal stout. Those are delicious. I love those. <laughs> I love those very much. Let's talk about the soundtrack of your youth. Uh, I was talking about myself in my father's car. Um, this is perfect for this. Uh, I want to know about when you were growing up in your parents' or guardian's house, what music were you listening to when you were not in control of the radio? What music did your parents or guardians listen to? My mom, I have two older sisters, and I was born in 1989. So, like, the music that they had on, that my mom had on in the car, when my sisters were in the car, it was like the, the pop station at the time, so it was like New Kids on the Block and, you know, stuff of that era. So I think my sisters had me singing like, oh, 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 yeah. the right stuff till I found uh, Weird Al Yankovic. And then it was, oh, 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 the white <laughs> stuff. Uh, oh, 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 Oreo. That's what yeah. it was, Oreo. The whites. And, uh, but when I was driving around with my mom and she was in control, it was like bad 90s Christian radio. But then I was fortunate that she also really enjoyed listening to uh, Motown. And all these stations. So I grew up listening to like Al Green, Marvin Gaye, the Jacksons, the Temptations. And then that um, turned me on to Michael Jackson. And then, you know, going from hearing the music on the radio in the car to then seeing Michael Jackson for the first time, like on a VHS tape or something or on MTV or VH1 and seeing him like come out of the, the ground of the stage in a spaceship in like a spaceship and then the space shuttle sits there for like five minutes and then the door bursts open like something from Spinal Tap and he steps out with like the space helmet on and he's standing there for another five minutes waiting for that sizzle as he called it. And then he'd slowly remove the helmet and stand there with sunglasses on for another five minutes and then slowly take the sunglasses <laughs> off and then the music would start. And at that point, they'd already airlifted like 2000 kids out of the stadium you know so it's like <laughs> like that like whoa you can you can wait 30 minutes mm. doing like 
sizzle before you ever even sing. And that's really what attached me to performance. But finding metal or any of that wasn't until high school. Mm. See, see, that's the right way to form sizzle versus the axle style of just not being on the stage. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> just not showing up. You actually have to be there for them to want you to, you know, let it happen. You know, <laughs> I don't think I mentioned this podcast, but uh, I had three little girls that live behind me growing up and i remember when they told me that they loved the new kids on the block and i w- did not know what this was and i was so i guess insecure and worried that they wouldn't buy me be my friend anymore that i thought that it was actually <laughs> new children that lived on the block that they loved and that they were going to play with instead of me just a funny <laughs> anecdote there <laughs> take me to your first gigs the 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 first show that you went to go and witness and uh, see your first live music experience. I don't necessarily remember who it was. I know that it was something at church. It mm-hmm. was some like Christian rock bands. And then there was like a Christian hardcore band. And I remember going in the mosh pit at like 13. Um, and I got pushed up to one of the big JBL speakers in front of the stage, like one of the main uh, house speakers and like, my ear or something like ruptured or something. So then I didn't go for a while, but was playing music and listening to music. Um, first concert I really remember going to was, uh, it was trapped and I was also trapped. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I wasn't there because I really wanted to see trapped. Um, uh, and, and, I was waiting outside the concert venue because they had, um, like a radio promo person out there. I thought it was really cool. I was like, oh, this is cool. You're broadcasting radio from out here, you know, live from outside. And I just was trying to understand it, wrap my head around it, you know, waiting for like a free CD or something. And they were like, well, if you go away, I'll give you tickets to the concert tonight. (laughs) And uh, I was like, cool, who is it? And uh, they told me, and I was like, I don't really know who that is. I don't know who that is. And they're like, you know, that song, I'll play it right now. Headstrong, I take you. And then... uh, and, and, you know, now we see where being so headstrong gets you. But um, <laughs> uh, I, I went in, you know, caught a good contact eye from the, <laughs> from the older kids that were there. And, uh, and I don't think I stayed for the whole thing. But it was, it was cool to, you know, to be in there and to see that, just the experience of it. Um, yeah, the first, like the real concert that I saved my money up for and went to was uh, the Project Revolution Tour that Linkin Park hosted. I, I didn't really like Linkin Park, but um, I was there to see My Chemical Romance and him. Mm, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, Finnish love metal band. Yeah. yeah, I just dove into them recently. It's really, really good that uh, the first big album that hit, Razorblade Romance, mm-hmm. you know, they were on Bam Margera's label and you got Vil Valo on the cover, just androgynous on the pink album cover and the, the cover of uh, um, Chris Isaac's Wicked Game. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But just so much of that record really inspired me of like harnessing the darkness of, of music and, and just that culture and that side of things and finding that love metal side was kind of like a gateway for me to find, you know, heavier metal and classic metal and power metal and, and you know, all the other different subgenres and subcultures of metal. It's a beautiful thing, metal. There's so many, so many, so many layers of it. It's like this 
insane flower and, and and every part of it is the flower so so that's what i love about metal and why i can talk to so many different artists on vox and hops because we are all part of one beautiful metal flower <laughs> yeah <laughs> I have, exactly <laughs> i have to ask you about <laughs> idol i'm sure you're fed up of talking about it but but what interests me as a coming from a musician's side of it is the the work ethic that you gained from being a part of vital because i can only imagine you know the production for every episode learning a new track a few new tracks in some cases uh connecting Mm -hmm. with with you know your nerves dealing with the stress of it all the the ambiguity that would kill me personally i like stability (laughs) not knowing if you're going to be there next week it it definitely it probably just put a whole bunch of weight and and how much you learned from that experience? Well, it was learning experiences every single day, you know, and sometimes every day was 10 different learning experiences. Mm. So like when you go and you get to be a part of it, you know, you go for Hollywood week, like just going through the audition process. When you watch it on TV, you see all these people and they're in this big stadium and then there's tents and then suddenly there's the judges. So like all that, at least for our season 10 years ago, happened over the course of like three months. So we go to this giant cattle call audition. There's like 17,000 people in San Francisco where the San Francisco giants play uh, baseball team. And, um, you know, out there in the cold to get a wristband. And then two days later you come back. Like, I think my wife and I, we waited for like a total of 36 hours for me to sing for like 30 seconds. So just going through all that, like it's really like a weeding out process and they figure out, okay, well who really wants this? who's willing to go through all this. Mm -hmm. Then we go back to San Francisco. I do like three more rounds in front of producers um, and then meet with the executive producers. Then they send cameras to our house to do a home story. And then like a month and a half later um, is the actual time that you go and audition for the judges. But then you get that, you get the golden ticket, you go to Hollywood, which is really in, uh, uh, it wasn't in Hollywood. It was in, um, uh, I can't remember what it's called. Anyway, somewhere, <laughs> somewhere east of Hollywood. The and, mystique. Um, You're breaking the mystique. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly. And so we went there and, and you do all that and you're learning about, you know, opening up every little bit in detail of your life to the cameras, to the producers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they're trained to do that. They're trained to like, you know, it, they're like psychiatrists, you know, and, and even before you get there, like, you meet with psychiatrists, you meet with private investigators. Really? Oh, they don't want anyone crazy. That's why. Yeah. To find out if you've murdered anyone or like done, done puerno or any of that stuff. So like, <laughs> you know, um, I got that from Jericho. He calls it, he calls it puerno. Um, Chris Jericho. Um, of course, but, yes. uh, yeah. So, um, so, and, but like sometimes if they find out stuff or if you're like upfront with things, you know, they'll keep it from coming out. Mm. but there's other things that like I've seen them handle things really weirdly. Like one guy, he had a warrant like a few seasons later, he had a warrant and obviously they knew this because they interview everybody and they dig you up. They find out your aliases, everything like it's full blown like CSI uh, backstage before you ever even get shown on TV. So they fully knew this dude had a warrant and they put him on the show and then they made this deal out of it for ratings. Like, Oh, well, you know, you got to leave us cause you have a warrant for your arrest. And wow. then they like said goodbye to him on TV knowing full and well that this dude had a war. But anyway, so like you go and do the show and it's press training mm-hmm. and it's interview training and 
choreography and uh you know staging blocking um we we went and did like mentor sessions the really cool thing about our season is because simon cowell had left the season previously that was his last season he left the show completely so we had jennifer lopez randy jackson and steven tyler and then um interscope records came on board to um release all the music so we were working with like top producers from interscope that work with all their you know big artists who worked with imagine dragons and lady gaga's and beyonce's and whatever so it was really cool working with those people as well as we had don was who's like world famous producer works with john mayer and everything and he would always um track live in studio so So we got the full band in studio i got to do um stevie wonders living for the city recorded live in studio with don was producing and with Bob Babbitt on bass, and Bob was one of the original Funk Brothers that played on all of those tracks. That's you know, crazy. All those songs, all those Stevie Wonders, and all the Motown stuff. So it's like, whoa, this is just <laughs> absolutely nuts. And then you know, you pile on like, I was able to bring Zach Wild in through Jericho, and like, you know, I went to the producers and was like. If I can do the groundwork, let me do the dirty work, please. If I do this and I can secure Zach Wilde to come and trick him to come on American Idol, um, <laughs> you know, will you guys allow it? Will you, will you, you know, show for it? And they're like, yeah, you're crazy. Good luck. It's probably not going to work. We're, you're, you're stupid, but, you know, go for it. And fully got him. Zach came in and because Dancing with the Stars and American Idol film in the same studio, hmm. um, you know, it's like, if you look at your phone and you put it a line down through it, it's literally the same building. And one side, the studio is idle. The other side, separated by a hallway, is wow. dancing. And Chris Jericho was on Dancing with the Stars at the same time. So Zach goes in like the big doors on the Dancing with the Stars side where they load in their sets and stuff. And, you know, with his uh, with his rowdy and, and just the full, the vest and everything, just ready to go. Um <laughs> and uh, this is for like uh, just rehearsal day that we're going to come back the next day for the performance. And uh, he's like, oh, I'm here to, I'm here to play. Um, and, and they were like, uh, you're not listed over here on dancing with the stars. You must be over there for American idol. And I can just imagine the look on his face. Just like, <sighs> you know, I, I worked it out with his wife, uh, with Barbara Ann, who was managing him at the time before Blasco took over. And, uh, it, it was just, it was something. So luckily Jericho came over and was like, you know, yeah, yeah, you're here to perform on Idol. It's great. You know, but like the same week, um, I got contacted by the Make-A-Wish Foundation that some kid who had Tourette syndrome and, and high functioning autism, just like me, like he, his dying wish, if he were to die that week, his last wish would be to hang out with me. And wow. just the, the weight and the gravity of that and understanding like, whoa this this just suddenly takes this idol experience from being something for myself and my family and really opens it up to wow i can i can be this light for somebody else i can be this light that i didn't have when i was that age that i prayed and i thought about and i dreamed and wished and hoped for you know that like send me somebody that's like me that i can just look to and be like they did it you know why can't i do it they did it you know and and Along that way, I got to be that for other people. And I still get emails and calls and, and all sorts of things of, of people. Like yesterday, some guy emailed me like, my six-year-old watches your videos and 
pulls out his little guitar and his little mic stand and he's autistic and he's just he just sees you as this light and it's just like whoa like you know these things that you don't ask for and then then you're given and these responsibilities and and things to just you take them with you you know you take them with you you apply it to the journey and and um the best part about getting to live out my dream as a singer is uh you know who gets inspired along the way that's amazing and and i definitely wanted to tell you how impressed and and important it is what you're doing to the, the waving that flag and being that person that these kids can look up to and other other people who are high functioning autists and uh, have Tourette syndrome. It's it's amazing what you've done, and I love how open you are about it, and how uh, you're not afraid to talk about it and to to be that person that you want to do to have to look up to. It's amazing. I, I just have to say thank you. It's awesome. Absolutely, I appreciate that. Well, like when I was diagnosed with it when I was like eleven uh, or ten, I was ten, um, and I was diagnosed with it. Like at that time. Like I already got bullied, I already got picked on, I already had big ears and like mm. dyed my hair, bleached my hair when nobody did that. And, you know, wore long sleeve shirts under short sleeve shirts under long sleeve shirts. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's uh, just, I just marched to the beat of my own drum, really. And, and lo- loved the color orange and just weird, weird shit that nobody does. Um, and that was me. And then being given this set of circumstances, you know, now, you know, neurologist, now you're disabled. This is what the world expects of you. This is your, these are your limitations. These are, these are, this is your set of circumstances and prescriptions and, and everything. And then when I was 16, I was like, I'm tired of taking these prescriptions. I'm tired of feeling different already. Like I'm different. Yeah, that's fine. Like, let me just fucking be different. You know, it's okay to be different. And if I'm supposed to have these circumstances and these disabilities, which I never call them for me anyway, um, is if I'm meant to have these, I need to understand, you know, what can I do with it? How severe is it? How can I learn to live with it and, you know, figure it out? And luckily I had great teachers along the way. I had an awesome um, musical theater teacher. Hmm. that studied up on it and she saw that when i was on stage and i was portraying somebody else uh which i did for like 10 years um when i was portraying somebody else i didn't have my disabilities i didn't have the tourettes i wasn't making faces or blowing my cheeks out or any of that stuff and i was able to make eye contact with people Hmm. and was able to you know it really engage and then the person that stepped off stage was back into my shell and she was like okay well you play a character on stage why don't you figure out what your character is in life you know and i've always been a big fan of pro wrestling and so to me it was like instant like i understood it in that way of like oh like a wrestler like you know they turn up their personality to 11 you know the rock he's got to be like that off stage (laughs) like out of the ring he's got to be just you know kind of (laughs) kind of super energetic doesn't know what to do with it he is that performer you know and so figure out you know who i wanted to be and i wrote a character for myself i wrote crazy james and crazy james no longer cared that bullies thought that he was stupid or ugly or big ears or whatever it's just like really still you've been saying that same shit since we were eight years old you're still trying to pull that you think it's gonna do anything to me because it's not you know, and like messing with those same guys in class now, like, oh, uh, teacher, um, 
they're selling weed in class and they didn't bring enough to share for the rest of us. You know, can you, can you <laughs> distribute it for them? You know, just being kind of like more of a smart ass about it and uh, really got me through it and gave me the confidence that I never had before. You know, there's, there's a, there's, it's easy to get really cocky that way. And I did get really cocky. And luckily my wife, you know, really knows how to like smack me humble. You know, <laughs> it's like the, the iron sheik, you know, yeah. I'll make you humble. Yeah. So she's the, she's the sheik in my life. You must've freaked out though, being so close to Chris Jericho being such a heavy metal fan because he's a great frontman, excellent vocalist and a huge wrestling star. That must've been like, just like going to the zoo for you when you crossed him in that hallway between the two uh, stages. Yeah. Well, Chris actually came over um, for one of our results shows. Uh, they brought Hulk Hogan out no way. to tell me I was going through. And um, this is before we know now what we know yes. about Hogan. So it, it, it taints the, the memory somewhat. You know, I have to like get rid of all the memorabilia and all that stuff that I collected all the years, which sucks. But um back to that moment like i i almost shit my pants like it was like serious you watch the video on on idol and like i lost all bodily functions just about i was on the verge <laughs> and my my jaw went unhinged i looked like the genie in aladdin when his jaw hits the floor and his tongue rolls out it was like that i couldn't breathe and i just couldn't grasp anything that was happening and then he like delivered like a you know a, a a job punch to to ryan seacrest and then ryan flew off the stage and like legit shoot elbowed his bodyguard directly in the eye and it was <laughs> a steven tyler's bodyguard had a giant black eye for like two weeks after so yeah so wrestling's not real come on um but yeah the very next day jericho walked over and he was like durbin's a wrestling fan great durbin's been playing metal great and he just walks into this into the studio on the idol side which no one does no one yeah. does that no one yeah, crosses yeah. side why well, he is a rock star rock stars do that we we go where we're not supposed to go as long as you walk like you're supposed to be there they never stop it's the one time i forget my tour pass on tour that's when the guy at the door will ask me. Oh, yeah. If I don't, if I have my tour pass, you know, they never ask me a single time to see it. Yeah. Oh, I've done that too. Forget my pass and just like, you just walk back there. It's like, what's up? No. Who else would be walking through the grounds wearing tights and knee high boots? <laughs> Answer me that, sir. In a shirt and a vest that says metal health on it, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, Jericho walks over and he's just like, What's up, man? That was great with Hogan. That Hogan bit. Really been enjoying you. And Jericho and I then hit it off. And uh, we weren't supposed to leave the hotel and stuff for Idol. Mm -hmm. Us Idol kids weren't allowed to leave the hotel. So we started hanging out and he started sneaking me out of the hotel. Like That's he's so like, oh, I see a back door back here. Uh, <laughs> if you can find it. Uh, I looked up the, you know, I looked up the, uh, um, the, the plans, you know, the blueprints for this hotel <laughs> online. And, uh, you know, it's like this Ocean's Eleven thing. And, uh, you know, there's a door. If you take the elevator and the, you know, I'll meet you out back. And uh, we snuck out. He snuck me out. We went and had uh, dinner with the Miz at uh, uh, this like super Hollywood uh, bougie steakhouse called Boa on Sunset, and uh, and and you know and, and getting stopped by the paparazzi and whatnot. It was just so weird. I had never experienced that because we were always kept at the hotel. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I was like, oh, great, the secret's out. Here I am in my <laughs> fucking Canadian tuxedo 
full-blown denim pants, denim jacket, denim hat. <laughs> Just didn't it. think about that one. <laughs> didn't know we were going to a nice steakhouse. I thought we were going to the Rainbow. Um, and, uh, and and then, yeah, snuck us out again, and we went and saw Rod Stewart and Stevie Nicks at the Hollywood Bowl. It's so badass. And then snuck us out another time and went and saw, like, some um, some tribute night with like some Metallica tribute band and the, the Iron Maidens and uh, some, some shitty kiss tribute band and, and uh, met Tim Ripper Owens. He was there for some reason. And it was just kind of a, you know, who's who and who's not, you know, going to Ste- steel Panther in Hollywood with Chris and Hell getting yeah. up on stage with those guys and Dane cook Hell and yeah. uh, Jericho Panford, Sebastian box uh, bar tab when he bailed out. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> were you not allowed to party? I, I assume you're not allowed to party if you're on idol. Yeah, we weren't really re- allowed to party. Um, I w- like when I would sneak when I would sneak out with him. I wasn't really partying. It was more just for the experience of like I get to go hang out with Chris Jericho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here we are at this steakhouse, and oh, here's the Miz, and now we're sharing a dessert, the three of us. It was just like <laughs> it was just really funny, you know. He would treat me to these things, and he'd just see like. Durbin's cool guys. I don't have really any friends out here and, and, you know, and getting to hang out with Jericho. And then whenever his, you know, random friends and Spiwi, Dave Spivak would come and, and we'd hang out. And then it just like developed this ongoing friendship. And it was just, it was really something. Yeah. We weren't allowed to leave the hotel. Like they had security guards at the front of every hotel that we stayed at um, to make sure that we wouldn't leave. So I'd always go out the back door and then just come back <laughs> through the front, you know, at, at late at night, just be like, what's up guys. <laughs> you know, it was just, it was just really funny. That's so cool. Um, yeah. It was crazy. Very really cool. crazy. Hey, what's up, Fox and Hopsins? I just want to take a little moment about Cryptopsy's upcoming tours. That's right. I'm talking about the Scream of Perseverance tour and our headliner dates that coincide with that tour called As Summer Burns. The Scream of Perseverance tour is kicking off at the end of May and runs all the way until the end of June. We are supporting the mighty death to all. We are going all over the United States and we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. If you are planning to come to any of these shows, you should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash summer and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxandhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown. Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. I also have to ask about Quiet Riot. Uh, Would you ever have imagined, you know, as a kid, that one day you would be fronting Quiet Riot, you know? (laughs) No, the first... A time I heard uh, Metal Health Bang Your Head was on a WWE Legends video game. Like the game really sucked. I think I got it used. It was like twenty bucks. I said I sold some other games, um, and 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 went and got this game. And it was the like the menu song. It was the theme song on the video game menu. And I was like, man, this game sucks. But what is this song? I really like the song. <laughs> and was able to figure it out in you know, those early days of YouTube. So I was able to figure it out. And uh, 
and then really consumed a lot of Quiet Riot and really just like the first two albums. You know, that's where like the that's where the meat is. <laughs> there's not much else beyond that. There's a couple there's a couple uh, a couple gems. There's Terrified. There's some stuff on QR3 and and uh, and the QR record with Paul Shortino. That's a killer record, too. But um, yeah, I, I saw Kevin DeBrow and I saw footage from, you know, their music videos as well as the Us Festival and I saw this guy that was fully rocking his, his receding hairline and yeah. striping his mic stand. And he looked like Gene Wilder from Willy Wonka. And, uh, and I was just like, wow, this guy just, he's all over the place. He's throwing the mic stand up and spinning it and twirling it in his teeth. And like, I was like, this is so excessive and so over the top. And it's so accessible as well. So I started... Uh, I started striping my mic stand wow. and I started wearing my hair like kind of feathered and wacky. And uh, yeah. And just to know that I had the chance to, you know, stand in the position where Kevin DeBro stood and I had the approval of uh, Kevin's brother, Terry, uh, Terry DeBro, the, the famous plastic surgeon. And, um, you know, just knowing to have that stamp of approval from from his family to to stand there and just the weight of that and the importance of it, because really what I wanted to do with my time with them was uh, was to bring back as much of that showman quality that hadn't been there for so many years. No disrespect to any of the other guys that fronted the group. I believe I'm like the eighth one <laughs> and there's, you know, <laughs> who knows how many more there'll be if Jizzy will be the last, but he's, you know, he's been there once before. So he's the sixth <laughs> and the ninth. Um, so, you know, who's to say, uh, but I just really wanted to bring something that I didn't see, you know, and, and looking at when I was preparing to, uh, to, to take that position, um, you know, looking at like, well, Mark Huff sounded exactly like Kevin and Scott Vokin kind of sounded like Kevin and, and had a little bit more stage presence. And then Jizzy, of course, he, he's great at what he does. And then Sean Nichols, who was in there for a minute, he did what he did. And, and, but looking at all those guys, none of them really tried to emulate what Kevin did as far as working the stage and working the audience and that's what I love so much about performing is you start off with a new audience every time. And especially being the new singer of a band that everybody's familiar with. So it's one hitting the notes. And my, my goal beyond that was to sing it like Kevin sung it, hmm. like with the ferocity and hitting all those notes and going as over the top as possible so that, you know, people have, a memory to the sound of the album. Absolutely. And they remember the first time they heard that album. They remember they got it from their older brother or what have you. And they're like, you know, put this on, you know, listen to this album, light a candle, burn a joint, listen to this album, you know? <laughs> and I really wanted to tap back into that and tap back into that, you know, just that over the top. He's like Pee Wee Herman and Macho Man Randy Savage mixed in one. Just, <laughs> ah, you know, and just that, that over the top 80s thing and really wanted to tap into that. And, uh, and I feel like I did, you know, there's, there's shows where I was dry heaving after the show or, you know, skinned my knees or, you know, uh, <laughs> pulled a groin muscle or something from just, you know, toe touch, backbend, power knee slide. And, you know, and like backbend and hitting the high A and, you know, all of it. So 
it was it was fun. You know, the shows were definitely the the most important thing I take away from it. The experience of playing all those shows. One of the last shows I played was Heavy Montreal. Hell yeah! Um, with me, Chuck, Alex, and we because Frankie was already um, dealing with his his cancer. Uh, that uh, we had Johnny Kelly from uh, Typo Negative on stage with us, and just like you know, getting to rock this solid thirty minute set and really just you know deliver the punch to everybody and and there wasn't a single original member on stage you know and the fact that we delivered the way we delivered and and got the reaction and the response that we got is uh is is really saying something you know to the level of performance and commitment and and all that it was great one of my one of my favorite memories montreal loves metal so so it makes perfect sense to me and you guys brought it so it makes perfect sense to me a lot has been said about you no longer being with the band i don't want to beat a dead horse i know you've talked about this a lot um is there anything that hasn't been said that you would like to touch on about you no longer being there if not we'll move on um no not really i mean we just couldn't come to an agreement on on moving forward i mean you know the the album making process wasn't something i really enjoyed because it was just, we were just kind of making throwaway records Hmm. and I just don't like doing that, you know? Um, so it was kind of that, but you know, we just couldn't come to an under, uh, a new agreement and, you know, I really wanted to make music and, you know, and, and really put a focus on making new music and, and good music and, you know, and, uh, uh, my my involvement on that end was I would just get given instrumental tracks that there was no changing. You couldn't mm-hmm. change anything, and I just had a right to it. And you know, sometimes that was easier said than done, which is why, like on on Road Rage, when I first joined the band, um, Sean Nichols had written all the songs, but then uh, when I joined, I had like two weeks to write all brand new lyrics and melodies for the whole record and record i'd write it and record it and record yeah and and by that point like they were like just send us dry vocals we'll mix it in they literally just dropped in the dry vocals and printed the record they put no effects they put nothing on it and which is just like oh my god like it's such a like big record you've done a lot of big records before that but here's your big in the metal scene. Yeah, yeah, the big debut with them. And I mean, it, it's a classic rock record. It's more like a Humble Pie record. Um, but, you know, when I recorded, like, it sounded like Mountain. Hmm. Like, it sounded like good classic rock, like Mountain, really wet vocals. Did a lot of uh, a lot of harmonies and, and harmony sections and everything. And really, like, dug my heels into that. Like, I know Kevin was, was a big um, fan of and it really inspired by Steve Marriott from Humble Pie, as am I. So I was really digging into that uh, Steve Marriott thing and it was just all washed away. And like some tracks got dropped in the wrong section and like that happened on both records. Like, oh, just like, ugh, like... Because you're not there, right? Right. Well, because there was no, you know, it was it was... You know, not my circus, not my monkey. That was the exactly. that was the catchphrase we uh, us guys in the band kept kept throwing back and forth at each other. Well, not my circus, not my monkey. We just gotta mm. sit back. If you make a suggestion, it's like, well, what do you mean? You know, mm. and you it's- play a side by side, and they still don't get it. It's just like, ugh, it's just, you know, this is just part of the job. You know, sometimes you got to push paper. Um, and so, yeah, very hard being in someone else's band. Yeah, especially if you're not inspired. Mm-hmm. And really, I just was no longer inspired. 
and I still enjoyed playing the live shows and everything and, and doing all that stuff. But you know, it's, it's that. And then it's really, I just wanted to spend more time with my family. I wanted like a week off during the summer to go on our annual camping trip and, and that just blew up and, and turned into a bigger deal than it needed to be. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny, like stuff that everything ended up getting canceled for 2020, you know, and we were able to go on our camping trip anyway, you know, we, we got our cake and we got to eat it too. You know, we got to, we got to extend our trip. It was great. So, you know, and I got to make this killer record out of it. So, um, I really don't look at it as being a bad time. You know, I wish those guys all the best in the world. I think it's great that Frankie's final, you know, his wish was for the band to continue because Chuck Wright, Alex Grossi and, and Jizzy Pearl and, and Johnny Kelly are all killer musicians and they work great together. You know, I, I have, I've seen video of them playing with Jizzy. We locked in great together. You know, I, I hit certain little nuances and things that, you know, Jizzy will have his certain nuances and things that they hit on. And, and the more they play together, the better they'll get together. But, you know, it's, it's uh, Alex and Chuck have been playing together for like 15 years, you know, and Johnny is so reminiscent of Frankie's playing, you know, and, uh, and it's, it's just great, you know, to know that he was handpicked by the guy. The last like four months of touring that I did in the band was with that lineup you know, sans, uh, Jizzy and sometimes Mike Dupke on drums, but it was, it was great. And, you know, it's, um, their music will continue to live on. It really will. You know, those, those records are, it's, it's people still come and, and see the band by the thousands, <laughs> you know, by the thousands. Yes. Everybody plays shows in front of a couple hundred people from time to time. And then you play the festivals and you play the fairs and you play everything and there's thousands of people and everybody knows those songs. So, you know, it's, it's, they've, they've got, you know, they've got it all. They've got it all. Experience of a lifetime. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But let's talk about the new record. Yes, please. The Beast Awakens came out February 12th via Frontiers record. Talk to me about this. This is, this is your, your, your most metal record. So, so, so tell me about the, you know, diving into this, you, you, you went through that whole experience with Quiet Riot. Now you get to make the record that you wanted to make. Talk me through this whole process. Yeah. So, um, I, I made my exit from QR public September 8th, following my final show with them the night before. Um, and, uh, two days later I got an email, first email in my inbox, um, that was, uh, music related. Um, was, uh, <laughs> not manager related. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. First, uh, first music related, uh, email in my inbox was from frontiers records and they said, you're a great front man. You're a great singer. We, that's what we, you know, build our, our label off of is working with great front men and great singers. And, you know, I mean the, the QR camp, like we were, the, the album was going to come out and, and unfortunately the, you know, everything got mixed up the way it did. And, and my leave was, uh, happened before the album's release, but it's not like we did anything with the album anyway. So, um, uh, but they hit me up and they were like, you know, if you're going to make a, a record yourself, we'd love to be the ones that you make the record with. And so we started talking, we got on a conference a week later and uh, I asked them, you know, what kind of album are you guys interested in me making? 
because my last label experience was kind of like that. It was like, okay, what kind of album now? Mm-hmm. Like I did a great rock, you know, pop rock record, but it sold 40,000 copies in its first week. And, and, you know, we had two great singles and back when records were still selling good and we should totally capitalize off of that with the follow-up album, another moody, dark, you know, um, uh, rockish record. And which I, w- I went to, uh, nashville and and recorded a bunch of songs with james michael from 6 a.m and the label came back and was like oh we want you to make a pop record so i I went to frontiers like that you know (laughs) like what kind of record do you guys want me to make like i know they're very rock and metal but some of it's like more uh you know adult alternative or you know just very wide spectrum of 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 genres under the metal and the hard rock guys so they were like well what kind of record do you want to make you know, kind of put the ball back in my court. And, uh, and I basically just said, you know, I'm thinking like classic heavy metal. I'm listening to a lot of Dio and a lot of Priest and really touching back with those roots. And they were like, basically like, that's what we were going to say. This is perfect. <laughs> so I started, um, I signed my record deal with them in December of 2019. So, you know, September to October, November to set like less than three months after, um, the QR leave. And, uh, so I started gathering songs. Um, I've never considered myself much of a like riff writer as far as guitar playing goes. Um, uh, I never really considered myself much of a guitar player until Rich Ward uh, told me that you're a great rhythm guitar player and you should definitely give yourself more credit and believe it more. Believe in yourself, buddy. Thanks, Duke. <laughs> and uh, so I, I started doing that. I at first worked with um, some different co-writers and co-wrote some different songs using like instrumentals back and forth and putting ideas on it that way. Um, but I, I knew I just wanted to write in a room with somebody and just write songs from scratch. So I had this idea uh, that I recorded in a voice memo and it went, and I worked on that. I took it to my guitar and I transposed it and I figured out and wrote a song around it and ended up writing the title track for what is now the beast awakens. And I sent frontiers five songs, four of which were co-writes demos. And then this song that I wrote and demoed uh, called the beast awakens. And everybody agreed that that was the best song on out of all of them. And so I figured like, okay, why, why continue to write like B average songs with other people when I wrote the best song out of these five myself. So then I started doing that and, and using that same formula, that same method of coming up with vocal melodies and then transposing them to my guitar, which is how I wrote most of the record. And, uh, it was just, just, just crazy. And it was just me at my desk with my guitar and my laptop and, a you know, real easy interface, my Lewitt mic, my Lewitt, uh, DGT 650, um, all in one home studio in a box. And, uh, thank you to Lewitt and yeah, shameless, shameless. No, no, no problem. No. Um, yeah. And, uh, please send all the free mics you guys want. <laughs> <laughs> I got to find places to put them with the other free mics. Thank you. And, uh, so I, I just did that and I worked on it and wrote it and crafted it and just kept demoing songs at my desk. And uh, after I'd written each different song and had consumed the demo over and over and listening to it nonstop and figuring out like, okay, because 
have you heard the record? I've heard a bunch of it, yes. Yeah, so the title track, The Beast Awakens, is is it's it's more driving, it's more modern in its in its way. Um it's it's more it's got like a melodic sensibility, kind of like ghost, mm-hmm. I'd say, just mm-hmm. in the, the riffage. And then the vocal is a little bit more priest defenders of the faith. Um but going from that and figuring out like, okay, well, what do I want to write next? And I think one of the next songs I wrote was uh, The Prince of Metal. And I was like, okay, I want to try something. I want to go more like new wave British heavy metal. And I wrote this, I tracked down this idea and I literally titled it uh, NWO, new wave of uh, BHM, NWO BHM uh, idea. And I worked off of that and I wrote the Prince of Metal song to that. And then I had this other idea I had a dream that Dio came to me on the dark side of a rainbow and told me like, there's no reason that you should feel like you can't write this album. Cause none of us knew really like what we were doing. We were just writing. Mm-hmm. And this is the style that we were writing it in. So don't be afraid, you know, don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid to like harness the power of the Kings before you. So I was thinking like Kings before you, the Prince will one day be the King and the prince is it's uh it comes from its you know descendants is descending of the kings before him so that whole idea came to me and and wrote that sitting high atop the mountain he's not high on the mountain he is literally high atop the mountain (laughs) over all there is to see it's the dream in the song the dark side of a rainbow touched the earth beside me from the sky descends the wizard as he spreads his hands apart manifesting right behind for me holding out the sacred heart it's dio it's the sacred heart he says you you are the defender of the land from the hills to the horizon from the holy to the desperate and the damned you are the kings before you that reigned before you became the heir to the throne and like the kings before you i can assure you will never stand alone and i just took it from there and was like this could be like a power metal kind of concept album dipped in this like Tolkien blind guardian, like sort of like, you know, just that vibe go really, really uh, Scandinavian with it. So that's what I did. I was, you know, really stoked to kind of find all these pieces that just happened to work together. It's amazing. That's amazing. And who would have known if you would have had the time to do all of this, if (laughs) the pandemic wasn't there. You know, to have that time to, to, to hum out riffs and then rework them all, be, you know, time was of in, in surplus in 2020, which was a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it really was. Yeah, I'm, I'm really blessed and really grateful and fortunate to have had everything work out that way. And, uh, you know, like I said, I, I wrote the whole album just myself, like just sitting at a desk with my guitar, every riff, every lyric, every melody and uh, and everything. So like taking that and applying it to the studio of like, okay, well I was able to do it like this. I don't really want to record everything myself. I'd rather get like really top tier players to do it. And I guess I'll record the guitars myself because I wrote the songs and I, I know how to play them instead of having to, you know, wait a few weeks for somebody else to learn them and teach them all the nuances and the things that I really want in there. So I just decided to, fuck it, I'm going to play guitar on my own record. This is cool. Why not? So bad. And uh, I had played some shows with uh, Y&T, California 80s rockers, and uh, their drummer, Mike Vanderhuel, him and I were standing outside uh, behind the venue one night, and he was like, hey, if you're ever making a record, 
it's been great playing these shows and, and getting to hear you. You're great. I'd love to play on something. And, and uh, if you're doing a record, and I was like, well, I just literally just signed a record deal. I haven't told anybody uh, outside the family. And, um, you know, I'll hit you up when the time comes uh, in the summertime. Kind of same thing happened with Barry Sparks, um, killer bass player that's played with, you know, everybody. Uh, Dawkins, Ted Nugent, uh, Michael Schenker Group, Ingve Momstein, uh, Bees, a huge stadium act in Japan, um, and just gets around. Um, Katmandu, <laughs> uh, and uh, all sorts. So Barry was just like, I'm just a fan of your singing, man. Just you know, send me songs. If I dig it, I'll just play some bass on it, send it back. I don't care, man. I just want to play. I was like, seriously? He's like, yeah, of course, dude. I can't wait. And so I sent him these demos and same thing with Mike. Like I took out my drums. I sent him my demos with a click. He tracks his drums to my demos, to my vocals and guitars and everything. And then we take out the bass with it and put fly in a rough mix of Mike's drums back into the demos and then take the bass out, send that to Barry, and he records his bass, which just blew my mind and still blows my mind listening to it. Just like, he is all over this record, <laughs> you know? He, he runs all over it. He's like Axl Rose and Bruce Dickinson combined <laughs> running back and forth on stage but doing that over the fretboard <laughs> on his bass. It's amazing. Um, and then took that into the studio and redid my uh, guitars and vocals. That's that's super rad, dude. I'm I'm super stoked about it. Uh, let's dance into a bit deeper metal. You you mentioned you love the Dio, the Maid, and the Priest. Um, I am the lead vocalist of Cryptopsy, which is an extreme metal band. Have you ever danced with the darkness of the metal? Have you ever dealt with death metal? Uh, not so much. No, I've I've always wanted to uh, figure out because my voice is my instrument, and I love figuring out new things and what it can do, where it could go. And I've always wanted to like figure out how to do that and to teach myself how to do it, how to do it safely um, and, and incorporate that into it because I, I just love that, like the guttural of it. But my voice is uh, my, I'm, I'm just guessing that mine would be more like a goblin sounding. <laughs> <laughs> more like that, more like a, a golem coughing up a, a hairball. Um and uh, I've, I've, I've delved in it. Um, if you've seen my music video for, for the Prince of Metal or uh, Kings Before You, my orc friend uh, is from a, a group called the Band of Orcs. And so there's this very, they toured with Gwar back in uh, 2009, 2010, around that time. So they're, um, but they've been kind of laying low. And, uh, you know, some kids were playing D&D &D out here in the Santa Cruz Mountains and happened to roll. Uh, a band of orcs and a portal opened up and an actual band of orcs with guitars and drums and everything came out, um, you know, full blown and, and they devoured the kids. I think one of them survived, but um, I was, was thrown back into the portal and then came back and now he's the Prince of Metal. I don't know. <laughs> we, we've been trying to figure out how to, how to mesh our, uh, <laughs> our, our, our fandoms. I love it. I love it. Uh, I want to touch on two, a few more things before we wrap this up. Uh, the backyard tour 2021, you mentioned you did that last year as well. Uh, how did this come about touring people's backyards and what is that experience like for you? It's great. I saw a friend of mine, uh, from idol was doing it and, uh, was promoting something. And I was just like, how are you doing that? And he literally sent me like the pitch email so he puts, you know, the idea out there and, uh, 
and people respond to it. And then he sends them back this kind of like this copy and pasted email of just like, this is what I'm doing. This is how much I'm looking to make. This is, you know, this is the idea of it. And uh, I basically, you know, I, I changed the, I changed some of the numbers <laughs> in his and, uh, and, and raised them and, uh, <laughs> and changed some of the wording and, and whatnot and changed the wording and whatnot to, to kind of fit me and, uh, and, and use that as a blueprint and, put out the same kind of memo to my fan base and people came back and they're just like, yeah, we'd love for you to play our backyard. What does it entail? And, uh, drove up to Oregon a couple times from, from California here, central coast. And, uh, and it's great. A bunch in the local area here as well. And surprise birthday parties and anniversaries and weddings and, and, uh, all sorts of things. So it's, it's crazy. You know, I, I wouldn't think that, uh, that I'd be playing a wedding, Mm-hmm. I play in a cover band and, uh, you know, eighties and kind of eighties, uh, dance rock cover band that I've been in for a while and, uh, called the lost boys. And it's just kind of like, you know, playing those sets and playing those songs to people. And it's been great. It's really been a lot of fun. So I've opened it back up for this year and we'll see, you know, we'll see where it takes me. And it's, it's been, it's really been fun to connect with fans in that way to do something that's, um, you know, still bringing people music mm-hmm. in a socially distanced way, uh, setting up in their backyards. And uh, it's usually just um, for most of them, it's just been me, you know, so I'll just take a I've got um, a, a endorsed by a Recording King Guitars and they just released the Recording King Songwriter amp, which has a, um, you know, a spot for an XLR for a mic as well as a quarter inch. So it's like, so I wish that existed when I was a kid, right? Yeah, exactly. It's just a little PA and one that I can just take with me. And it's thing. The thing kicks ass, you know, it's got a lot of juice and, uh, and it's just rad, you know, to be able to do that, take that literally guitar case, got my cables, got my mic stand, got my TC Helicon, um, uh, uh, like voice vocal processor that, you know, creates, uh, uh, the harmony harmony mm-hmm, singer mm-hmm. and uh you know it's like i'm the freaking eagles <laughs> you know <laughs> i've got my two backup singers and they're always they're always on key you know? great they're always on key they're always on time and you never have to pay them i love those kind of musicians <laughs> i know right yeah yeah they don't talk back they don't uh they don't see if if you can incorporate their ideas into it you know it's great <laughs> Let's wrap this up with a classic Vox and Hobbs wrap-up question at this point. Um, it probably never happens to you because you're, you're very in control. You know what's going on. It definitely never happened to you when you're on Idol because they would have been very pissed. But every once in a while, it happens to everyone. What is your hangover cure? Ooh, uh, sleep. <laughs> it's just sleep. I, I really try not to get hangovers and, and just kind of know my know what I'm able to mix and, and where I'm able to go. Um, oh, dude, last. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I just, I just <laughs> I don't try to get hangovers anymore. That is awesome. James, thank you so, so much for taking the time talking about your life, music, and craft beer. I really enjoyed this. Everyone get ready for The Beast Awakens. Check it out. I'm stoked about it. Cheers, James. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, Matt. Have a good night. Peace. Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to Daniel. You know that I love and appreciate that. Man, did I ever have a great chat with James. Just one of those people that, you know, we start talking and just immediate kinship. He's uh, such a very, very cool dude. I really, really enjoyed this chat. Um, The story about my dad 
talking to me about him back in the day 10 years ago is absolutely true and he was very stoked when he heard that James was saying hi to him so uh, thank you James for doing that I really appreciate it if you guys have not checked out The Beast Awakens which James just dropped back on February 12th you absolutely should do that it's a banger of an album full of excellent anthems it's a lot of fun it's it's a one of those records that I put on and then I just clean my house to it it's feel good metal and uh, I think you'll enjoy it too if you enjoyed this Fox and Hops episode I strongly encourage you to subscribe to it on the podcast platform of your choice but more than that, I'm asking you to rate it and write a review because when you do that, more people just like yourself will be able to discover the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. You can also sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast's mailing lists, and you can do that on my website, voxandhops.com. That is V O X A N D H O P S.com. And when you do that, you shall receive one email a week containing all of the details of everything that has happened in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast throughout the past week. Do yourself a favor, join the party. Party, sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast's mailing list. It's a blast. The Vox and Hops Metal Podcast is brought to you by Sound Talent Media. I have one more episode coming at you this Friday, but until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hops heads. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob Podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out.